Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. Our series, our collection of talks, if you will, called Heart of the Matter or The Heart of the Matter. Uh, in week one, some awesome guy with bushy eyebrows, not Brandon, named Matt, came and started the series. It was all about heart worth guarding, about the value of your heart. Your heart is valuable. If you didn't know that, go check the podcast. I heard it was really good. Um, and then we continued on with preacher, pastor Olivia Audette over here in the corner. Give it up for Olivia. Just fire. I'll let you go back, check the pot. Fire. I listened to it on the podcast. I wasn't here last week. Unfortunately, I was in New Jersey, which is a garbage state, if you didn't know that. Um, fun fact. You ready? Catch this. With Okay, Tuesday morning of last week, right? Tuesday morning. I'm sitting in my van at work, ready to do some stuff. I'm installing glass. And I hear, bang, 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 bang. And I'm sitting here thinking, there's no way, right? Like, there's no way. Like, this is, this is America. This is, like, we're in a safe place. Like, no way. And I, I pull out of the driveway. There was a shooting, like, a block away from where I was at. Catch this. One, two, three, four hours later, I'm standing at none other than Panda Express, right? Because Panda Express is life. Anybody else, right? Yeah. Panda Express. Like, if we can't get behind that, I don't know what we can get behind. Panda Express. And I'm literally standing in line. Orange, chicken, white rice. Yes, I'll get two egg rolls. Come on. Bang, 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 bang. What? There's no way, right? And then I walk out the door, get in my van, drive, literally the next street over, another shooting. New Jersey is garbage. For the sake of your own life, don't go to New Jersey. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. I just felt like I needed to, to vent my fear and overall angst towards New Jersey. But we're continuing our series tonight. It's like, where is he going? Um, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write down the title of tonight's message. It's simply put, The Heart of Conviction. Um, Maybe you've seen that title and you're thinking, this is going to be a horrible message. I don't want to hear this message. Heart of conviction? We want to talk about conviction tonight? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, tonight, it's going to be a, I'm going to try and keep it short. Uh, this concept we're going to kind of roll out here tonight, this idea, this topic, this um, truth, if you will, this culture code, if you will, is really simple. It doesn't take a lot of brain power. So if you're in here and you're like operating on one quality brain cell and the rest are shut down, you're in the right spot because we can still hit it right there. She's like, yes, that's me. I'm right there with, hey, I got the mic. I'm rocking two. You got one. Together we got three. We're on fire tonight, guys. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, heart of conviction. I'm going to pray for us because Lord knows I need it. One brain in the back. We need it. Everybody else, we need it. Let's go. I'm not calling you. That's cool. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you so much that you love us enough to meet us here every single time. Every single time, Jesus. God, I think everyone in this room, including myself, knows that I just can't do it tonight. I don't have the wisdom, the skill set, the ability to articulate well. We need you to show up tonight. We need you to pierce our hearts. You need, we need you to open our eyes up. You need to Open our understanding so that we can understand your word and see what you have for us, Jesus. We do not want to go forward without you. So, Lord, we ask that you just come and fill this place and um, really speak a word that's going to change all of our hearts forever. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Guys, let's just start here. Conviction. Yeah. Maybe you hear it and you're not like Caleb and you think, is he going to call me out tonight? 
right? Like whenever you talk about conviction, it's usually like conviction of a crime. Like, oh, you just kicked a puppy. You're going to jail for 30 days. Like convicted of a crime. It's usually pretty intense, right? Like have you ever thought like, like what is conviction? Or have you ever realized that maybe God has an intention for how we navigate conviction? Like in the Bible, like it's not just, you're going to get convicted and deal with it. It's like, oh, he actually has a game plan for when you do get convicted. Here's the way you can go. Have you ever thought about that before? I know I didn't until like I wrote this like 48 hours ago. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm prepared. Um, but, but tonight, I, I really want to walk through just the simple idea of the heart of conviction. What's the overarching? We're not going to get into the nitty gritty of, is this conviction? Is this not conviction? We're going to look at what conviction is, what it isn't. We're going to look at what condemnation is versus conviction. And by the end of it, I really just want us to all understand what the heart of conviction is. And with that being said, if you have a Bible, pull it out. Pull it out to Nehemiah chapter 8. Old Testament, right? Have we ever done Old Testament in this building before? I mean, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Olivia went Old Testament a little bit last week, but I never preach out of the Old Testament. It's a scary thing. They were like sacrificing goats and stuff. Like what's going on back there? I want Jesus giving me healing and bread multiplier. <laughs> like that. Like, I want that side of the Bible. Like, oh, we don't have food. Let me multiply some bread and fish. Boom. McDouble, right? Oh, McDouble. See, multiply. That's <laughs> That's some Jesus math right there. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, in this story, let me give you some context here because this is important for where we're going. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we are coming up on what could only be described as a train wreck of a society. Um, maybe you've looked at your window and thought, that sounds like me. <laughs> this is a society that for over 100 years has just been in the pits. Uh, one, the Babylonians have come and just wiped out the Israelites. They have bombarded them. They have oppressed them. And then on top of that, the Israelites are not doing much to really help themselves. They've stopped pursuing God. They've given up on reading the word of the Lord, which is the law of Moses back in this time. It's a destitute place. The actual soul of people is destitute. And then the physical terrain is destitute. The walls of Israel are broken down. The temple is in shambles. That's kind of like the church, if you're not like super the church, the temple. Like, mm, like no, it's just a church. The church is in shambles. And people are just like, life is horrible. Yeah, it's 2020, 2021, right? This is what's taking place right here in this context, right? And then our guy, Nehemiah, if you know Nehemiah, his story, I know Pastor Eben wrote a book on it, go buy it. Plug, hello, from pain to purpose, Pastor Ebenetti. Um, but in Nehemiah's situation, Nehemiah comes on the scene and is like, man, this place needs work. I'm going to step up and do it, being prompted by the Lord. So he begins to reform and restore this society. He's like, okay, that wall you guys have been trying to build for like 70-something years, I'm going to do it in 70 days. Boom, drop the mic. He starts doing it, right? It's epic. Then he's like, okay, we got to rebuild the temple, right? So they're working on the temple. And then there's this guy named Hilkiah. Somebody say Hilkiah. Not milk, but Hilk. Hilkiah. Say it again. Hilkiah. Say it like you're like angry at somebody. Hilkiah. Sounds, sounds like Al-Qaeda, but it's not. Al-Qaeda. No, Hilkiah. Um, Hilkiah is a guy who's just an average Joe worker. He's out in the trenches. He's picking up rocks and moving them because I think that's what they did back then. Like, what kind of construction do you have other than moving from rock from here to there? But 
He's doing construction. He's moving through the shambles of the temple, and he finds this book. It's like, oh, it's like a book. And he's like, I have no idea what this is because I can't read because I'm illiterate. And so he picks up the book, and he's like, this seems important. So he goes back all the way up through the food chain of the hierarchy of leadership, and it somehow gets back to this guy named Ezra. Ezra wrote a book in the Bible. It's a dope name. Ezra wrote a book in the Bible. Now, this is that same Ezra. This is the book of Nehemiah, though, that we're talking about. But Ezra's in the story of Nehemiah as well. That's pretty cool. They're in, like, the same time. It's like Garrett is like Jesus, and then, like, like I'm like Peter, and we're in the same story together. It's the same thing. It's really cool. You're Jesus. Um, but Nehemiah gives this command to Ezra. Hey, gather everyone. Yeah, I'm scared, too. I saw you in the back. She's like, oh, he's yelling. And read the book of Moses, the law of Moses, to everyone. And so he does. So we open up in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going to read, God bless you people, 12 verses. <sighs> if you didn't do daily devos, buckle up, buttercup, because this is about to get real. We're going to read 12 verses. Now, I'll tell you what. I'm about to butcher some old school Hebrew names, so I don't want any judgment on your faces when I get there. Because this can be a it's gonna be a train wreck. We're talking bad stuff, it's bad. This name's Bob. Like that's that bad, right? So gear up. If you're with me, just give me a bobblehead. Okay, good. One person. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. Remember, reading the scriptures. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it um, in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. So hello, 6 a.m. to 12 o'clock noon, standing up. None of you are even standing here. I'm the only one representing God in this moment. Um, and still no one stands up. That's okay. It's okay. We're working. On, I'm joking, guys. Don't stand up. Uh, from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse 4. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on the platform of wood. There we go. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, stood... <laughs> Mattiah, Shemaniah, or Yusha, Hilkiah boy who found the book, hello, represent, Masiah, and at his left hand, Pediah, Michel, Michel, it's like a bougie Michel, um, Malikiha, Hashem, Hashbandana, Hash Brown, you know, you say Hash Brown, but I was thinking more like Havana, but, um, I'm horrible and white. Um, Zechariah and Mashalam. God bless. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. No. Okay, we're still going. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered and said, Amen, amen. Anybody? While lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Please don't do that. Not in this context. Do it in your own time. Also, good Lord, Jeshua, Bani, Sherabayim, Jamin, Akub, Shibatha, 
Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Josabad, Hannah, that's simple. Um, Peliah and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. Remember that. Forgive my names. Help the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, which they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. We're going to power through the last bit here. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions to those from whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11. We're almost there, people. Come on. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the, uh, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Last verse. So juicy. Here we go. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. <sighs> I'm so sorry. That was so long. I, 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 it's a lot of verse, but we got to get to it. So what did we just read for Pete's sake? Let me summarize to make it easier for you because that was a lot of can't even begin to pronounce these names. Nehemiah told Ezra to, to preach the word of God, to literally read the law of Moses. When he started reading it, all the people were cut to the heart and started crying. Why? Because they realized the standard of God was different than the standards they've been living in. And they just started crying. They had nothing else to do. They just like, oh my gosh. Like we've been living like this and this is what God intended. And they were just a wreck. But what I love is verse nine. Can you put it up for me, Christina? Verse nine. I'm so sorry. I didn't tell her to be prepared for that. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and do not weep. Hey, I see you're crying. Suck it up, buttercup, and don't cry. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. Like if somebody's just having a hard day and you see them crying and you walk up to them and it's like, stop it. <laughs> stop. He repeated himself, don't mourn nor weep, bro. <laughs> Why would he do that, right? Well, his explanation was the day is holy to the Lord. But he continues and he says, hey, don't, don't be sad, but rejoice. And he said, actually, go and get some fat. That's steak, my people, ribeye steak. He said, drink the sweet. That's wine. None of you are there yet. Um, <laughs> send the portion of them who nothing is prepared. Hey, go find people and celebrate what's going on. And it says in the last verse, verse 12, that they celebrated because they understood what God was calling them to do. They understood the standards of God. If you're taking notes, we're going to break through this and unpack it. Point number one, don't weep. When God convicts you, it's no occasion to weep. Let me, let me say it like this. When God convicts you, it's no occasion to be sad about it. When God convicts you, it's no reason for you to feel like, mm, I messed up again. That's not at all what he said. He literally actually says, don't do that been celebrated. Why? Because every time God convicts you on something, what is he doing? He's showing you more of who he is. 
Good fathers in the room. I'm not a father. None of you are fathers. But I have a good father. My dad, Daniel Raymond Tillery. That's it. His name's there. I have his name as my middle name, Matthew Daniel Tillery. My dad, he never said, Matt, don't do that, without also showing me, Matt, do this. He never said, Matt, you can't act like that without also modeling Matt act like this. When God convicts you, he'll never just leave you there and say, just don't do that without giving you an option, a reality of where to go after that. Don't stand here. Well, where do I stand? And he's silent. No, he doesn't do that. If he says, don't stand there, he'll say, hey, come stand over here. A good father always directs you to a place of hope and life and abundance. Every time God convicts you, it's a reason to not cry because God's showing you more of who he is. We just sang about the father of kindness. That's Jesus. Every time God convicts you, he's showing you more of how sweet he is, how loving he is. Conviction in really, in a simple form, is an act of love. I was sharing with the guys in our group uh, this after before service. Man, I don't even know when you guys do things anymore. It's been COVID. I don't even know what day it is. Where are we at? A great way to look at conviction is God's not giving up on you. God keeps showing up and says, hey, you could be sharper here. God's not giving up on you. If he gave up on you, why would he convict you? He's given up. Every time God convicts you, it's proof that he's not done with your life. He's, he still sees a better day for you. He still sees more happiness, more joy, more healing, more hope, more prosperity, more fruitfulness in your life. Oh my gosh, you guys, you're not as excited as I am. It's okay. Hey, thanks, guy. Uh, conviction versus condemnation. Condemnation. I'm so sad. Conviction. Let's go. That's an abbreviated definition. Go ahead and throw up conviction for me, Christina. Let's go. Write that in your journals. Let's go. Conviction. God making you aware that you're living less than what you were created to live by. Hey, I see you where you're at. Do you know you're called to live up here? Come, come stand up here. I think of John in the book of Revelation, where literally Jesus sees John on earth and says, hey, come, come sit up here with me. I'm inviting you up to the standard of your life. It's not more work. It's more freedom. It's not more responsibility. It's more power. It's not more, oh, I've got to keep up. It's, it's more freedom in Jesus. He's calling us up to something. And what's so great about conviction, hope and empowerment are always present in there. Always. Hope. Hey, this is not the end. It can get better. And empowerment. I'm going to help you do it. Every time. Now, condemnation, if you will, sucks. Let's start there. <laughs> it's from Satan, and it comes to tear you down, beat you up, and to convince you that there is no hope. Condemnation is the shame-filled awareness of sin, absent of hope and resolution. Have you ever felt that? Ah, oh, I just did that thing I said I wouldn't do again. And what do you do? You start beating yourself up. Oh, I suck. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. You know what's funny about that too? Whenever I do something bad, I usually like punish myself with my diet. It's like, oh, I did so bad. I guess I have to eat a salad today. I want a steak, but I have to eat a salad. I want Brewster's. I get a yogurt. I want Popeye's chicken sandwich, but I guess I'll settle for Chick-fil-A. Oh, we just divided the room, didn't we? Didn't we do that? There's a way that seems right to man, kids. And in the end, it leads to death. 
Check your hearts. That is terrible. Healthy people notice conviction. I have a friend, and I don't think he'll mind calling me out. His name's Ethan. Um, Ethan is one of the most just aware people. He always notices when he's getting convicted. But what's so funny is he's always discouraged by it. He's like, Matt, I just, I noticed that I, my heart's just been a little out of funk and I, I haven't been giving God the first fruit of my time. And, 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 I'm, and he's like freaking out like his, the world's ending. And I always come up to him, I'm like, hey, bro, healthy people think like that. Unhealthy people don't even recognize conviction. It's a good thing that you notice that. And it's a good thing you're making changes. Stop being so sad. Point number one, don't weep. Okay, we're going to keep going. I'm going to talk really long on that. Point number two. Being convicted is a holy thing. Multiple times in that long epilogue that we just read, the 12 verses, he mentions that it's a holy moment. Burning bush. Anybody? Moses, Prince of Egypt. That scene in Prince of... Okay, forget the story of the Bible. Prince of Egypt, the movie. Anybody? Come on, people. And then it's a real thing that happened. But (laughs) that scene... Moses. Breathy. God have onion breath, like Moses. I am your father. Take off your shoes. This is a holy moment. What if we looked at conviction like we looked at, like Moses' story as a holy moment? Why is it holy? You're getting close to God. You're becoming more like him. In the same manner that Moses became more like God in that moment with the burning bush. His shoes were off and it's like, whoa. Conviction is the same caliber of holiness. Holy just means set apart for a special thing. Set apart. You're, when you're convicted, it's a special thing to God. It's not like he's like, oh, oh, oh going to tell Garrett again what he's doing. No, he's like, no. It's like, this is a special moment. I get to pull my son aside and encourage him and build him up. That's a holy thing. It's something like, what if we pursued con- conviction like we pursued the, like, the songs of God? Everybody loves worship music, right? Like, I'm going to sing. Like, I can't dance and or sing. So this is really bad here. Kimberly, no, <laughs> just stay where you are. But like, I love me some worship music. It's, it hits, right? I'm going after the latest album, Upper Room, Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus Culture, Everybody Under the Sun. What's some other ones I'm forgetting here? Maverick City, all those people, Mosaic, I'm talking all of these fire, house fires, what you got? Vertical worship, I don't even know what that is, vertical worship. We go after worship music. We're hyped about it. What if we were as hyped about that as conviction? What if, right? Like, what if? What if we pursued the, the, the character of God like we pursued the songs of God? I think it would look like heaven on earth, in my opinion. I mean, every time God convicts us, it looks a little bit more like heaven. So I would just imagine if all of us went and made that shift and said, we want to go after conviction like we want to go after worship, not setting aside worship, God bless, I love me some worship. But what would happen if we esteemed conviction to its rightful place? What would our, keep it small, our community, this group look like? All right. Boy, that's so good. I'm just encouraged. Okay, that's good. I'm just looking at my notes. Okay, point number three. Point number three. I'm telling you, I'm keeping it short tonight. Celebrate. Uh, celebrate. What's that song? Celebrate good times. Come on. Stop it. Stop it, people. That's horrible. 
sad story. When I was like fifth grade, I sang that on the bus every day going home from school. <laughs> yeah. Not my best moment. <laughs> Matt wasn't dating anybody in elementary school either. Not by choice, of course. Um, because I was singing that song every single day, like it was like the Super Bowl. <laughs> celebrate. Verse 12, he talks about, hey, celebrate. It says they went home rejoicing. Why? Because they understood the standard of the Lord. They understood it. Did they fix their lives yet? No. Did they have a perfect game plan or how they're going to defeat that sin they've been struggling with forever? No. Did they make any sweeping changes yet? No. Why celebrate? Oh, because you understand what God wants for you. Do we ever wait? Like, I'm not going to celebrate this person's story until they're like, they fixed that thing. Like, I know they're doing good there, but I noticed they haven't been tithing. And so I'm not going to give them a high five until that 10% hits the bucket. Right? Like, do we do that? That's joking. But like, do we wait for people's behavior to, to show up before we celebrate their heart change? Because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is like, hey, you made a decision in your heart to change. It's time to celebrate. I, you know what? I love it too, because I was telling you like when you're sad, you eat a salad. He's like, hey, go get steak. Go get some wine. And you know what's so cool? He says, those who don't have a portion, go get them. Translation, those who are not close to you in this exact moment right now when you're convicted, go find them and celebrate with them. Throw a party. You just got convicted. Who does that, right? Like nobody does that. Nobody thinks like that. But what if we did think like that? Hey, go find everybody you can think of. You just got convicted. It's time to celebrate. Why? Because you understand what God wants for your life. God celebrates you understanding. But, but Matt, what about repentance? What about a change in behavior? Because we love behavior. We love being right and looking right and doing right and feeling right. We love that. How do I know I'm better than my neighbor if I don't do right? <laughs> That's a joke, guys. <laughs> You're like, oh, dang, call that out. Like, I measure myself because I'm better than that person. Why? Because I tithe and they didn't tithe. We look at the outside. Well, I'm better than them. Why? Because I touch the ceiling when I worship and you don't. Like, <laughs> sinner? <laughs> Olivia's offended. You'll get there. <laughs> Maybe you just get, get up here and then like, <laughs> jokes. But we do that, right? We look at the physical and say, I'm better than them. We, we, we have to let go of that, one, because we have to pull people in to celebrate. Now, I'm going I'm to go back here. I don't want to get crazy. Do you, like, culture-wise, right? Have you ever walked into a place and you just can feel the culture? Like, you walk into Starbucks and you're like, this place is jazzy. Yeah, ooh. Get a coffee and sit down and do nothing for three hours. And talk and gossip and be on your phone. You're like, all those business people who are, like, sitting there typing. It's like, what do you do for a living? Like, just type. Like, what are you doing in there? Like, here, real estate or something, like, finances. Like, I don't even know. They're making money sitting at Starbucks doing something. But you feel the culture of it. Or you walk into like a, a home and you can just tell this home is like, they fight a lot. Have you ever just felt that culture thing? I don't want to call people out. You walk into like a McDonald's, like, oh, this is like a glimpse of what hell looks like. Like, it's just like, oh, or like Chick-fil-A. We all know it. We all know it. Excellence. You walk in there, excellence. They, they, 
we're on top of it. We're going to get you that fries. If you didn't get fries, we're going to give you $10,000 worth of fries. And they're going to, they're going to make you right. Oh, you're, you need a kidney? Here's my kidney. Like, they're excellence, right? It's a cultural thing. LYC, because that's you, that's me, that's us. Like, that's who we are. What if it was a cultural thing that when people walked in here, we celebrated conviction? I'm not saying that's something we can just, oh, now we do that, right? Like, it's not something you just flip a switch and you start doing but it's something that we work toward. And you know how you work toward it? You make decisions that when somebody's convicted, you don't be like, loser. You, you say, hey, you remind them, hey, don't you dare be upset. Don't you dare cry. You know what? Come on, let's get together. We're going to celebrate. Why? Because you understand what God's calling you to. What if we did that? How healthy would we be? Or we didn't shy away. Like, conviction. Oh, he's calling me out. Conviction. Oh, I get to be more like God. And we get to party after. <laughs> what if that was the culture? Every day, my guy. Every day. But how much fun would it be? <laughs> it would be so much fun. What did you get convicted of? I cuss a lot. But you know what? God's good. <laughs> We're getting better. I know the standard. Now, I'm joking here. You know the standard of God. You get convicted by God. It's not just making random hulabob decisions to change. It's God saying, hey, Matt, your words are valuable. Power and life and death are in your tongue. And you're like, oh, man, you're right. Celebrate. I'm still working on it. I'm filtering out the music I listen to because all my music is like beep, 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 candy, beep, 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 soda, beep, 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 beep. Like that's, okay, I got to cut that out here, but I'm making progress and I know the standard of God for my life. So woo, let's go. Purity with your eyes. What are you watching on your phone? I haven't figured it out yet, but I know that God has called me to purity. I have a precious gift that I'm going to give somebody someday when I'm married. I'm fighting for it. I value it. Oh, do I go on? Does anybody care if I talk about purity? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So there's this guy, right? He's in the military. Uh, he's like, well, no, he's like 15. And then he, he goes to a jewelry store and he sees this diamond ring. It's worth $10,000, right? He goes into the military. He, gets, he turns 18, goes in the military. He tapes that bad boy to the inside of his helmet, right? Because he doesn't want to lose it because someday he's going he's gonna to give it to a girl, right? It's going to be epic. And every time he looks at that ring, he's like, oh my gosh, someday I'm going to give this ring to this girl. And he goes through and he fights this war and he's in this epic battle and he's running across the field, jumping into a trench and he drops his helmet in the middle of the field. And he's all the way over here and he stops and he's in no man's zone. It's like, you're about to get shot. And, he, and his commander's like, kill her again in the bunker. And I'm like, coach, no. And I, I go back and I pick up the helmet, I throw it on, and I'm running, I get shot in the leg. And I, and I come back to the hospital, and, I, and I'm, I'm coming through, and I'm like, and I see this girl, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's pretty. And we start talking, and the relationship starts building. And then I'm like, hey, you're kind of cute, I'm kind of cute. I may have a bullet in my leg, but do you want to go on a date? And she says, yes. And I'm like, oh, snap. And then things go well. We go on a second date. And then a third date. Shoot, we got a fourth date planned. Things are getting serious. Then I give her the, I pop the question. Hey, do you want to be my 
girlfriend exclusive? And then when she's like, yes. And I'm like, oh, thank God. That was so nerve wracking. And then we go ahead and we start dating. And then it's this amazing thing. And then year, maybe some time passed. People get engaged real quick nowadays. I don't even know. I'm thinking about a year. A year passes. Hey, will you marry me? She says, yes. Woo. Let's go. I don't give her the $10,000 ring though. I go and buy a cheap $1,000 ring and I give her that. Then we get married. She puts on the cheap $1,000 ring. She went to medical school, so she's loaded, got a ton of money. The honeymoon night comes. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. The honeymoon night comes. Guard your hearts, kids. And, and she doesn't know it, but I have a $10,000 ring I'm going to surprise her with. She thought I got her a $1,000 ring, but I have a $10,000 ring. So I, I come over and I give her the $10,000 ring. And she's like, oh, my God thanks. She puts it on. It's like we're at the beach. Kokomo. Bang. It's a beach. And she's like, all right, let's go swimming. And we go to the beach. And I'm like, hey, be careful. Be careful with that ring. Be careful with it. And she goes in the water. She loses it in the ocean. Right? She comes up to me. She's like, hey, hey it's okay. It's okay. My, my dad has money. I have money. We can, just, we can just replace it. I have the money. It's no big deal. And she doesn't get it, and he's just distraught. Why? Because he knew the value that $10,000 rings was because he fought for it for the years leading up to that moment. Was the $10,000 any different than a ring that she could buy at $10,000? No. What made it valuable? That she, he fought for it for years. He fought for it for years. When he was in the 15 years old, he saved up the money to buy the ring. When he was 18, he enlisted in the army and he stuck it in his helmet. When he stopped on the battlefield and fought to get it to the honeymoon suite, he fought for that ring because it's more than $10,000 because he fought for it. That's your virginity. That's your purity. That's your heart. You, I didn't want to talk about purity in here. You guys got me talking about purity. Your heart's valuable. And so when you guard your heart, when you stay convicted, when you're being led by the Lord, you get a gift to get to give to somebody. You get to give somebody a gift on your wedding night. Now we're going to stop there because I don't want to keep talking about your wedding night. You're like 12. I guess it's, it's time to stop. It's okay to be 12. I was 12 one day. Someday used to be whatever. I was 12 for a day. I just, we so sidetracked, Christina. I'm sorry. Um, your heart's valuable. I'll, I'll get back to that. <laughs> First John 1 9, we're going to end right here. First John 1 9. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Jerks. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God convicts us. We don't mourn. This is a holy moment. We celebrate. Why? Because he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Because we understand what God wants for us. I just feel like this is maybe for someone in the room. God's cleansed you from your bad behavior in the physical world. If I, if I can say it like that, I don't want to be like sexual world, but in that area of life, he's completely redeemed you back to innocence. Colossians 1.19 says that Jesus died and has reconciled you back to, he has presented you innocent, pure, blameless, above reproach in his sight. That's the word of the Lord for you tonight. If you've crossed boundaries, Jesus has restored you back to purity. 
You can start again. You still have a gift to give back in the days when, when you get back to that day. When you get to the bedroom of the marriage suite, I don't even want to keep talking about this. This is so uncomfortable. He forgives you of your sins, cleanses you from all unrighteousness, and he loves you so much. So what is the heart of conviction? Let's just wrap it up in one simple statement. That we understand the standard of God for our lives. And we celebrate. We don't mourn. We celebrate. We get people to come alongside. If you want to come and make me sound spiritual, good, I need that. If you didn't notice, I need it. Where were you when I was trying to set the tone about the war room and the purity and virginity and all this? I needed the keys to make it sound better. It's a joke, guys. Ta-da! We celebrate because we understand and because he forgives us and cleanses us. You want to just close your eyes real quick and bow your heads. I, I want to talk to you without you seeing me. I think that's good. It's not helpful when you're looking at me. Again, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you've felt like every time God convicts you, you feel sad, but you don't want to feel that anymore, would you just slip your hand up real quick? You can just put it up, put it back down. God convicts you and you just feel horrible about life. Okay, great. Just slip it up, slip it down. That's great. If you're somebody who's maybe, like I was mentioning, has slipped in the sexual purity side of your walk with the Lord or in your life, don't raise your hand, but I want you just in your own heart, just say, Lord, that's me. That's me. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> just say it inside. That's me. And when I pray for you, I just want you to in your own heart. I don't want this to be physical because we're not calling anybody out here, but I want you just in your own mind, just say, Lord, thank you for restoring me back to innocence. Thank you for cleansing me. It says from all unrighteousness, all of my past is clean now. All of my past mistakes, I'm clean now. And I'm going to pray for us real quick. So Lord, I pray for every single person who's come under the weight of condemnation, not conviction, but condemnation, Jesus, that you would completely set them free from the pain and the discomfort and the hopelessness of condemnation. And then God, you would infuse them with celebration and with joy, knowing that you, God, have better days ahead for them, that you are the forgiver of sins, that you're the cleanser of all unrighteousness, God. And Lord, I know we somehow rabbit trailed onto purity, Jesus, but I, I think you're behind it. God, I ask that you would begin to convince and here convict every single person in this room about your forgiveness and your cleansing of their lives. God, that you've restored them back to innocence. And that God, for everyone else in this room, Lord, that you would give us a value for our our hearts, our value for our bodies, a value for what we bring to a relationship, Jesus, and that you'd set us on a path of righteousness, Lord. Help us to take time to celebrate the moments we, we're walking in. God, we invite you to convict us more and more. Help us to live, help us to create a culture of LYC that we love conviction, that we do, we're all about it, Jesus. Help us to walk in that. Help us to stir one another up, to be convicted and celebrate. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We believe in you. We hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.